Hello and welcome to another episode of the Be A Boss Coaching Podcast. I am so pumped to share with you this episode because I talk with a really good and dear friend of mine, Kalima Desus, who is the owner and the founder of Café Con Libros, a feminist and black and Afro-Latina-owned bookshop and coffee shop in Brooklyn, New York. And it's the first person that I have talked to that owns the storefront. I haven't talked to anybody that owns a brick-and-mortar business. And I'm just really excited for you to hear just her experience with owning her storefront bookstore and coffee shop the way that she runs her business and the way that she builds community around her business and how she implements the values that she holds into her business and to her bookstore so i'm really excited for you to hear this and you'll hear how i know kalima from my years in new york and in grad school and it was a really fun conversation so i hope that you take so much away and come back on instagram if you have any questions if there's something more that you'd like to know come back to one of these posts that i put on there so without further ado enjoy the show kalima welcome to the be a boss coaching podcast and i'm so excited for you to be here i'm gonna let you introduce yourself let you introduce your business and we'll take it from there. Perfect. I First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on. You have no idea how bad I wanted to be on this podcast, how excited I am for you to have a podcast. I am Kalima Jesus. I am the owner and founder of Cafe Con Libros, an intersectional feminist bookstore and coffee shop in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. And I'm very excited to be here. Yay! coffee shop in Brooklyn bookstore coffee shop in Brooklyn awesome okay this is where I'd like to say I know Kalima from (laughs) my years in grad school and in Europe or the undoing racism internship (laughs) project you knew I was gonna bring that up (laughs) and so Kalima's a longtime friend supervisor she was my I think you were my task supervisor right yes or one of my many task supervisors correct correct (laughs) and oh my goodness I mean I've talked a little bit about my experience in grad school and in Europe and my lens and how that developed while I was in grad school because trust me before that I had no idea I was not like I didn't know anything and I was a grad school student my second year I was in I was an intern for Undoing Racism Internship Project and I did organizing for schools of social work and during that time Kalima you were an adjunct okay so let's go back because I know that you started your business five years ago yes But before that, you were a professor. So can you talk a little bit more to your history and like your background as a professor? Yeah. So I started teaching, I think it was in 2010. Yeah, 2010. And stopped in 2018 when I had the baby. I stopped. Mm -hmm. I had the baby in June. I stopped in March. I did a short semester, a mini semester, and I stopped. 
I initially did not want to teach. I just, there's like this whole thing about if you can't do, you teach. And mm-hmm. it was like making me feel like all insecure. Like I needed to spend more time in the field and do more organizing and do this and do that. And I will say that Dean Marianne Yoshioka, who is mm-hmm. probably one of the best deans I've ever met in my entire social work career, coached me and like really mentored me and said, you have something to offer. You don't have to be in the field 20 years before you start teaching. Bring your energy, bring your experience, because I was on the ground organizing at that point, and bring it to the classroom. And I did, and I did that for 10 years, sorry, for eight years, and then transitioned out. I'm always so curious about your teaching and what makes you confident because I feel like this can transition into entrepreneurship a little bit. But I think when it comes to teaching, especially you were teaching grad students, right? I was, yes. What made you feel confident about your ability to teach young people about organizing and social work? I always replace that word teach with facilitate. I was, I felt like I was just facilitating a conversation and trying to get people from point A to point B in a conversation. I wasn't an expert. Mm. I, I don't know it all. I would walk into the classroom and say, I just want to create an experience where we're all learning from one another. And I really feel like I grew so much in those classrooms as well, because I'm not on the streets. I don't know what if mm-hmm. I'm, I was organizing at that point with survivors of domestic violence and then moved on to survivors of military sexual trauma. But if somebody's organizing with queer youth, I'm bringing a framework in which we can understand this, but they're bringing a very specific and very directed experience of working with that particular population. And how does this framework fit in that population, if it fits or not, right? And so mm-hmm. I was able to learn from that. So my idea, my confidence comes from knowing that I don't know everything and knowing that I'm actually just there to facilitate a process and not there to preside over anything. Of course, I had to make sure that folks are reading and understanding the material, but it was really about exploring how they felt about the material, how how does it fit in the context of their own work and fit in the context of their own values, and Mm -hmm. how to disrupt current policies and practices that only serve to oppress and suppress specific populations yeah yeah I when I think about teaching it feels like a big responsibility at least to me to know that you are teaching and providing information and knowledge to young people who come into this field and want to learn and I'm like wow that's such a huge responsibility to to teach and I'm a coach now but I feel like it's a little bit different where you're you're teaching, but you're also so bringing out the confidence in people and trying to ask the right questions, right? And versus this, it feels like I have to know everything, right? But you're saying I'm learning in this space too. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and, and B, you you made a good point. Like it's you're asking a lot of questions, and it's the same thing that a facilitator or an adjunct lecturer or a professor or a teacher. That's really what we should be doing. Is like helping to people to critically think, we give you the information. And then so we ask, what does this mean to you? What does this mean in your world? If you had to sit back and like think about what does, you know, liberation theory look like in your own world Mm -hmm. and then look like in your own practice, what does it look like? And so it's more about the questioning that sort of 
gets people to start thinking and feeling and seeing that they start, they have a lot of the answers inside already. Yeah. Or they've been uncomfortable about something and there's more that I can offer them in terms of reading to help them get more comfortable around whatever it is that they're feeling or more knowledge around that. But ultimately the learning is a very subjective, a very intimate process that I'm only facilitating that. I'm not necessarily, I can't force feed you that information. I can give you all the reading that you want and you can read it and regurgitate it and never incorporate it. Mm-hmm. But if I create a space in which we are dialoguing and we're talking, we're going back and forth and you're asking me questions and I'm asking questions and we are really leading in with curiosity, never to really say like, oh, I'm right or wrong or you're right and I'm wrong. Not that, but to just mm-hmm. be open to like this new information and, and then everybody taking that new information and making it their own and then putting it back into the classroom. And then we are all observing, like absorbing that. And it's just like a continuous like synergy. So. I, when you said it, I was saying to myself, B, you already do it. That's what you do as a coach, right? That's how you support us yeah. in growth. Yeah. And I think also when you remember when you were asking, are you doing any group coaching anytime soon? And to me, that was in that same context of teaching, right? And that got me, I was like, well, I would like to grow to that point, but I just don't know if I'm ready for that right now. And I I feel so much more comfortable one-on-one because there's a back and forth, right? There's right. questions and there's learning from each other mm-hmm. versus when there's a group, it, there's more, I feel there's more to think about. But you also mentioned that it's a space and you're feeding off each other's energy and it's a cool. synergy. I'm wondering when you decided to start your business, how did your values and your views around how we learn from each other and community, did that play into you learning about being a business owner? Yes, on okay. so many levels. When I started Cafe Con Libros, I had no experience in running a small business. I knew how to organize. I have some sort of um, public administration underneath my belt, right? So I know you know, about systems and how to, you know, how to set up accountability systems, things of that sort, how to do a project management, stuff like that. But in terms of like a brick and mortar business, I had no idea. And so I did a lot of, a a lot of things. I always would bring together like people in my community to help me process, to be sounding boards for myself, like sounding boards to be thought partners. So that's the first thing I did Mm. because and we know that in community organizing, we talk a lot about community. It's community. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about what it means to not go to and do things on our own, that we do things with other people. And that part of that process is a lot of what we call political education. And that in that process of political education, we are growing as a team. We're becoming more intimate. We're learning from one another. And so the learning, so I'm not seeing, I'm the owner of the business, but I'm not necessarily always seen as the leader of the business because maybe I don't have a strength that somebody else may have. So for example, mm-hmm. when I initially, I initially formed a community advisory board, I had different people from different industries on that board because I mm-hmm. simply do not know. I had a lawyer, somebody mm-hmm. that's in, like Peter is, does media and social media. He's, in, he's a documentarian. 
like then I had someone else who was like did social media for another small business. So it was like helping me to think about social media stuff, things that I simply do not know. Yes, I am the curator. I am the owner. I'm the founder of this space, but I don't know everything about this space. And so that's the first yeah. thing that I brought that community organizing lens to that. Then another thing that I did with in the bookstore was saying to myself, like, again, I'm brand new. So mm -hmm. people may there are bookish people out there who've been traveling to bookstores a lot all over the world for how long? <laughs> they know me way more than I do. So I have this board up in the bookstore that says, if you want to see us do something different, stick it on this board. And then I would come and I would take it off and I would look at it and I would think about it and I would consider it. But I, what was really important is that I had a mechanism for community feedback. And that was also another thing that's, that was coming from my community organizing lens. The space that I wish that I have more capacity to do more is to sort of build relationships within the community. I do have some, but I don't nurture them as much as I want to. We all, we know that mm -hmm. again, at the heart of any organizing and any small business is our relationships. Like it's just, that's just fundamental. I simply just have never had the capacity. I had no idea about the many layers of owning a bookstore and the many things that I would be responsible for. So this really idealistic idea of I'm going to have these relationships, I'm going to do all these things in the community. Mm. It just never, even with as much staff as I've had about at the, our largest, we had like maybe eight or nine folks on staff. We just never were able to get to that level where we could seriously engage beyond donations or beyond like maybe a book fair or things like that. I want deeper relationships and I'm not able to do that. So that's three concrete ways that I've brought my organizing lens to the business. I love that. Yeah, I love the idea of the board. I, I don't yes. think I would have ever thought about that because as a business or an entrepreneur, like there's, at least in in my journey, there's been this phase where I'm realizing that there has to be creativity in that process. And I realized I never really practiced that because I feel as if I grew up sort of I was fed information, right? There was like a moment where I reflected on my education and I thought about I don't think I ever was pushed to think critically mm -hmm. until I got to like college and grad school. Right. And even then I, I was like struggling a little bit. And I think now as as a as I started this coaching business, you're like you said, you're learning a lot. Like you don't know, I don't, I don't know anything. I my dad was a business owner, and but I, it's funny that I never thought of him as an entrepreneur. I was like, he's just my dad, right. and he's just a person who works and who provides for our family. He's a business owner, you know, and he's Correct. done this for twenty twenty plus years or more, and I. And he's learned just his own way of doing business. And I feel like everybody learns their own way of doing business and how to run their own business. And I, but we learn these concrete or these ways of engaging with your community, right? And engaging with bringing in the people into your process of creating right. the your service or your product and I love that idea of like you putting up the board and asking folks to just write what they'd like to see right. and what they want to know or what they'd like if, to do differently and using your community organizing background to think about that because 
I'm like, I think for me, there was a lot of, okay, there's this view of entrepreneurship. And then there's and then there's all these other experiences that I've had. And I think for me, I was trying to figure out what does it look like for me mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. a business owner mm-hmm. that doesn't because when I thought about being a business owner, I or just business owner in general or like entrepreneurs in general was like white people in Silicon Valley. Right. That's oh, what I thought about. Yeah. And I was just like, this is entrepreneurship. I immediately I'm like, oh apps and you startups and like venture capitalists and all of these right Right. and I'm like and so when I thought about starting my own business I'm like okay so now I want to start a service start up or figure out a product and there's all these like basic things right that you might look up on the internet about thinking about your ideal customer avatar Mm -hmm. or thinking Mm -hmm. about thinking about research, market research, and mm-hmm, all of these mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, th- I'm learning about that, but it's still not, I still have all of these other values. I have experience in organizing and bringing people together. Mm-hmm. How do I put that into, and I was struggling with that. And mm-hmm. I, I like that for you, it was like, just seamless. Or I felt, it felt I'm going to use this skill and I'm going to, and this background that I know, and use that to build my business but I think for me there was a dissonance there oh of course I think yeah a dissonance is natural you know what I liked about the question about when like in terms of I think you asked the question about being an entrepreneur and I was like or having the identity of an entrepreneur yeah. oh actually I've never really sat with yeah. that identity like until this question I think mm-hmm. it, it's so important because even when I left the military I did not identify as a veteran and so mm-hmm. I think that it's so interesting, it's really, there's something about putting labels. Yeah. First of all, identifying the label that needs to be on you and then assuming that label and then exploring what that actually means. So mm-hmm. it wasn't until today when you asked that question and I'm like, oh, I've just never said to myself that I'm an entrepreneur. I just say that I own a bookstore, which are they, they're one and the same. But there's something different when you claim the identity of entrepreneur, right? And Mm -hmm. it it feels different. And Mm -hmm. and I was like, I guess I need to really sit with what it means for me to be an entrepreneur. It's just like when somebody was like, oh, you're a veteran. I was like, I'm a veteran. How am I a veteran? Like, I didn't go to any wars. And they were like, you served, you're a veteran, right? Mm -hmm. And just because you didn't physically deploy, you were there when you were in the military while they were deployed. And so you're a combat veteran. And so when I put that on, then that meant like, as a veteran, I get access to health care, I get access to mental health, I get mm-hmm. access to different types of services and benefits. And so my identity and then the role that I'm playing within that identity is very different because I'm navigating a system that I didn't know was for me because I yeah. had not accepted that label. And so mm-hmm. now I'm accepting this idea of, oh, yeah, I'm actually an entrepreneur is another way of saying I'm a small business owner. But that, what does that actually mean for me? Am I, would I be doing anything different? How would I be doing things different? So I really appreciate like you saying that even about your dad, like you never thought about him as an entrepreneur. He just owns a business. And that's how yeah. I felt. Yeah. And I just want to say one more thing. Be like, I, I really think that you are already bringing people together. I think like your newsletters are amazing. I get Aww. so much. No, really, I do. And you know this because I'm like, put it in. I put it in. Yeah. Did y'all read her newsletter today? I, the newsletters are so, they're just so well done and they offer so much skill set. And that little short paragraph 
This, mm-hmm. I think, is bringing folks together. Like, it's, do you know how close I feel to the people I listen to on a, to the podcast every day? I feel like they're my friends. Like, Sam Sanders, mm-hmm. Zach, and Saeed from Vibe Check, they're my friends because I'm with them <laughs> one, once a week. And so I think, like, you are, and like, once the, I think that you are bringing people together in the way that you feel most comfortable. I know I feel like I'm part of your community. And I feel part of your community. I can't wait for you to do your group because I will be there. No. But I think that you are in the way that you feel most comfortable right now. Yeah. No, I love. So I think that the reason why I have that question right and right, that's a question that I myself reflect on all the time. And I think because, again, I have this since grad school, right? Mm-hmm. I've had this like lens that I'm like okay that's now part of my life that's just the way that I'm gonna think now that's Mm -hmm, just the mm -hmm. way that where I'm going to be conscious or I can never say that word conscious (laughs) but like I'm gonna be thinking about how am I showing up and making sure that I'm not perpetuating these systems that we like I learned about right in in grad school and I think for me, a lot of folks in general, I think when we think about business or entrepreneur, it's like there's this, I guess, this word to capitalism, right? And all of that. And I'm like, okay, we because sometimes we talk about that. We talk about all these different systems, right? That Correct. we're like that we as social workers that we work in and how do we perpetuate different systems? And I'm, when I started this, the made this decision of starting this business i'll say i'm gonna be participating in capitalism so that how do i deal with that how does that what does that look like for me how does that it was just all these questions that i think i was struggling with around the fact that i wanted to create something new for me i wanted to learn how to make more money there's just all these things but then there's still these values and these beliefs that i learned in grad school that are very important to me and that I still think about and I'm like so starting this podcast has been one of the biggest best decisions I think I've made because it's like just it does bring people together and I want to change the way that we view entrepreneurship because I think it's interesting that a lot of people especially I think folks who have these sorts of like conversations right around systems i think that we there was like a conversation i had with someone in a different episode who said they at one point they thought business is evil and i'm like (laughs) yeah it's funny because we when as social workers we think about people and then when we think about business we think about money right right and capitalism we think about like trying to reach the bottom line or like all of that and Absolutely. I'm like how do I bring these two values and this goal together and I'm wondering do you think about that do you ever think about okay as a business owner this is something that kept there's a participation participating oh. in capitalism do you think about that absolutely okay I'm gonna so this is this is such a beautiful question and I want to it's so hard you know why is because the folks who you know, folks like us who really are committed to being as anti-racist, mm. anti-sexist, as ev- anti-everything, so just to make pro-liberation as possible. 
we struggle, I think, under the weight of purity politics, where everything that we do has to be so pure and so perfect. And with mm -hmm. this idea that we won't make mistakes. First of all, we live in a, a capitalistic society. By virtue of that, we are all participating in capitalism. It's not that it, it, we can't avoid it, but it's just mm -hmm. how we decide to do it. Mm -hmm. I will say this, when, when I first, when I was going to open, I just wanted to open up a bookstore and my dad mm -hmm. said, no, that is not going to be sustainable business. And he was talking about certain types of trends and I was like pushing back and I was like, because I travel all the way to La Casa Azul to buy my books all the time. So I know that people are going to come to buy. And he said, yeah. it's not going to work. Right. So he said, you need to pair it with another type of business that is going to be money generating. And I'm glad that he pushed back on me because I did that. But the thing that the business that I decided to do because of my own travels was a coffee shop. And to bring a coffee shop in at the time, what is what it was predominantly POC community, people of color community with a heavy lean towards Afro-Caribbean was to really change the fabric of that community on some levels. Mm. Everybody knows that once you bring a coffee shop mm. and not just like, you know, drip coffee, but if you start to bring an entire espresso get up into the community, mm. it mm -hmm. changes the community. And mm. so I think that, and also, so that was one thing that I was very conscious about. And then the other thing is that just to be completely honest, the books that I am selling are, are the books that I, the majority of the theory, the black feminist theory books that I am selling are books that you typically find in the academy or I was introduced to them in the academy. And so mm -hmm. even the book choices that I've had in the bookstore lend to a certain type of class folks and or folks who've had a certain type of experience or access. So okay. that was really hard as well, because I cannot say that that's the, those are the books that I know. I know all the Black feminist canon. That's what I know. Mm -hmm. I know that from my organizing. I know that from my teaching. I know that from my own graduate experiences. Mm -hmm. So I know what it says when, certain, when some people come into the bookstore and they feel completely at home, and then other people come in the bookstore and they're like, I don't know any of these books. Like, mm. where do you have anything else? And I yeah. feel a way about that because I know that by my, simply by some of the, my book choices, I am, I may be isolating a portion of the community, right? Because I'm not selling certain books. And because my books are so small, it's so tiny <laughs> that I have to make really conscious decisions. So that, I think that's number two that I really struggled with, just knowing that the books are saying something about me without saying something about me. And I also struggled with what does it mean for book prices to continuously go up and me trying to convince people to buy a $30 book so that mm -hmm. I can pay my staff when they need to fucking buy it. Oh, I don't know if I can curse, but sorry. But they need to buy it. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> they need to buy bread and milk and eggs, like real shit, right? And so it's, oh my gosh, here I am selling books that cost $30 or $32.50 or trying to support that. Now, I'm not going to do deficit mindset where I know like all people of color are poor or all people of color can't afford books. Mm -hmm. That's not the truth, right? Like mm -hmm. you and I know that. We are living proof of that. Our group chat is living proof of that. Like we yeah. we know that. But it, we, it, I, we can't deny that, so that our work is to meet the needs of as many folks in our tribes and our communities as possible, but also knowing that's impossible 
it doesn't, even knowing that it's impossible, doesn't relieve uh, the discomfort that we've left someone out. Yeah. Um, and we've left someone out because we live in a capitalistic society. Yeah. And there are hierarchies of power, there are hierarchies of privilege, and there are hierarchies of access in all of that. And then folks inevitably get left out, right? Mm -hmm. So just my pricing is going to leave some people out until the paperback comes out. And mm -hmm. your pricing is going to leave pe people left out because until you get a different product or service that mm -hmm. allows more people who... It's the lesser of evils to say, we're going to do this work anyway. We're going to try to do it with as much intention and as much eyes wide open to the systems as possible with the understanding and with the compassion for, the, for ourselves and others in the business that some folks will still, no matter how hard we try, be left out. And mm. it's hard. Yeah, I love, that's all I had to say for that. Yeah. Oh my God, because... I feel like this is just me just, okay, you're right. Kind of like don't need to have this guilt, right? There's a, sometimes I feel like there's this guilt, like you said, like I'm leaving people out. Right. There's investments that, that are made, but then I have to, I need to also make sure that, for example, like when I do any sort of calls that I can afford the platform that we're like talking on, you Correct. know? Correct. And, and sometimes, I think about that. I'm like, how do I want to provide as much support, as much guidance, as much like with my own values? That's just the reality of it, that we live in a capitalistic society. And I love what you said about that. We still walk along this journey with as much intention and with our eyes as wide open to what really what's happening and how we right. do participate. But how do we talk about those things sometimes there's this idea that i can change entrepreneurship but it doesn't happen overnight it Correct. happens with conversations like this with community with people trying different things and sticking to your values as much as possible i love all of that you mentioned brick and mortar which yes. brick and mortar business is definitely much different than like yeah. an online so what are the what are some of the challenges or differences that you have experienced in running specifically a brick and mortar business? Yeah, I oh gosh. So a brick and mortar, of course there are costs associated with overhead that you wouldn't have if you like working from home or if your platform was like a completely online store. So we have all that stuff. I think also it's it's how it's about the aesthetic of the space as well and what it represents. Mm. I two quick stories. My my bookstore and coffee shop is named Cafe con Libros. It's a spin-off of Cafe con Leche in our in our culture. And I am black presenting with a Latinx culture, ethnicity. And so when folks come to my bookstore, it says black owned or Afro-Latina owned. It says Afro-Latina woman owned. And I like that's on my website. So people are really confused. Is this, is this actually a black owned bookstore? So mm -hmm. when you have a brick and mortar, people want to rep, people want to see some type of representation. They have their idea of what it means to be black owned or be this or be that. And you have to represent it in everything that you do. And mm -hmm. it's really interesting because the name of my bookstore is Cafe Con Libros, but the if you look on the sign of the actual store, it says black feminist and bookish because I am both. 
Yeah. And so, you know, when you, and, and so how do I represent that in my bookstore? And so there's also this idea that everything in my bookstore should be red, black, and green because it, that's the colors of the African diaspora. And I'm like, it could possibly be that, or it could just be mm-hmm. a plain site where the books represent not mm-hmm. only our politics, but it also represents both my identities, my multiple identities with mm-hmm. the books that I choose. So I think that there's a there's an expectation of how we perform our identity when you have a, a brick mm-hmm. and mortar. I think it's the same thing, like sometimes like online, but there's an extra added pressure around how we perform like blackness yeah. in a physical space versus just an online space. So I think it's that. I think the other thing about having a brick and mortar is that with just like keeping it well stocked and like you have an online store, people don't know whether or not you have the books in stock, but they come in your book and your store and they're like, oh, this shelf is empty. What's going on? They can form all kind of opinions about the space that doesn't necessarily represent the full totality of the story. I think a lot of people, my friend Jazzy and I were talking about this yesterday, like a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what it means to run a business or especially a bookstore. And they have no clue how hard it is to do, like how hard it is to just stay on top of things. And I think that can be represented in the bookstore in very concrete ways just by inventory and just by the type of inventory that you have. So if you happen to run out of one particular popular book, there is a whole, this can be a whole story that's created about it. Whereas nobody even know if it was just online. Uh-huh. So I think that there are particular challenges around, even around safety. We had a houseless person that lived in the community that used mm-hmm. to come in and we wanted to create boundaries with them that was human and loving and compassionate, but also maintain safety for the staff who were mm-hmm. majority female presenting. And it became really difficult to hold yeah. the both and. and so. I think that those are other issues about who we decide to hire who are female presenting and queer and trans and gender binary and not knowing who's going to walk in the door and create an unsafe environment for them. But again, if you are completely online, that is not necessarily always the issue. It's probably a different issue, but it's not that physical danger. So those are some of the ways that it's a little bit different Uh in brick and mortar. Yeah. When I think about my dad, he owns a two brick and mortar shoe repair shops and it's just different it's very interesting to see the way that one shoe repair shop this space that it's in one of them it's in diamond bar the other one's in west covina so just how different even though they're essentially owned by the same like my dad right the same Mm -hmm. people but have to be conscious of the community of where in the space where it's at Mm -hmm. and how it impacts like even I realized even the the prices we have to shift a little bit on one store versus the other even though they're the same and I'm sometimes I grapple with that because I'm like mm-hmm. but shouldn't it be consistent because right. like, it's owned but it's to the same owner but no no each community has their own needs and it can't it really can't be the same but right I like. Th- there's just different because of the space that you're in and the space that you're occupying and you have to take into account the people that are there the community that's there so you mentioned that entrepreneurship has allowed you to grow and stretch and create can you say more about that 
Yeah. One of the things that I so loved in one of your first or second podcast, two things, and I meant to like, you asked us to do this and I didn't do it. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. But two things that you mentioned, you talked a lot about, you talked about like labeling yourself as lazy. Mm -hmm. I cannot even tell you how many people I have had this conversation with about that particular episode and how affirming it was for me because I appreciate the way you reframed it. That is not like that you're lazy, that you value, you have a specific value around your time, your downtime and what you mm -hmm. like, what you want your life to look like. So I wanted to say that here because that was for me. I needed that. Oh. The other thing that you said, you talked about not wanting to be a therapist and mm -hmm. not feeling you couldn't see your way in the social work profession at that point in your life. And I was like, yeah. yes, B. Mm -hmm. My sister and I, who is, she's also a social worker and she is, this is her first year or her second year doing therapy. And she's, I don't think that this is it for me, but it's also, and not, but, and feels like she actually can't say that as a social worker because oh. it feels, it feels like the worst thing you could possibly say as a social yeah. worker. And I was like, ooh, I got a podcast for you. So that she can, <laughs> she can listen to yeah. you talk about your journey through mm -hmm. making this decision around, this is just not for me at this point. So yeah. that is where I was. So again, another podcast that really felt affirming to me when you said that, that's where I was when I was working at Silverman School of Social Work. I love my coworkers. I love the work that I was doing. I loved, for the most part, working with students. It became really hard during the pandemic, which I believe that it became hard for everyone to work during the pandemic. Yeah. So I don't want that to be like the sole thing that describes it. But I got to a point where I was like, oh, I don't see myself growing. I don't want to go to therapy route. I don't want to organize anymore because I, it's not something that I can sustain in full throttle with a son. Like I wanted to reprioritize my life, rebalance yeah. it, reshape it. And I just didn't see the way forward necessarily in social work at that time. Yeah. And I, when I, once I opened the business, so a little bit of timeline really quickly for everyone. I opened the business in December. I became pregnant in October of 2017, opened up the business and December of 2017, had a baby in June, stopped teaching. I was working a full-time job and teaching in March wow. of 2018, Yeah, had a baby in June of 2018, yeah. and took, I think, a month off, just a month off from the business, but then I took a full 12 or actually more than 12 weeks, 16 weeks off from my higher education job. And so I was doing a lot and like, feeling a lot during that time. And I would say that that it, I just wrote about this, like processing my own self through that whole thing was very difficult. I, when I went back after having this experience of owning my business and like being able to be in my business for like completely dedicated to the business for that, those four months, showed me that the world of entrepreneurship that I was just saying it was small business was expansive. There was mm -hmm. so much that I could grow from and it made me excited. So I had, yeah. I hate social media and you know that I hate yeah. social media. You're I'm an introvert. introvert. Yes, I'm an introvert. And I hate it. I hate it. But I had to grow in that area. And you, if you look at my page, you can see how we've grown and I've yeah. shifted things quite a bit. I've had to take many classes. And 
I read your newsletters and I incorporate that type of stuff. My mindset has shifted around yeah. certain things. And so I think this has been the richest at this point in my career, like one of the richest growth experiences because there is so much I don't know and so much yeah. I remain curious about and excited about. I didn't show that at social work and mm. I don't feel it right now for social work, but I do feel it for being a small business owner because I can every day I look at my to-do list and I'm like, I don't know, actually know how I'm going to do this, but I have to do it. Never built a website in my life, mm. but I had to build a website yeah. for my business. Mm -hmm. And even looking at your website and saying, and then, and Sean's website, I'm like, wait, somebody like, look at this website. Can I get my website to look like that? <laughs> and then being excited about the possibility of moving through the templates and seeing if I can do it. And if I can't hire somebody to do it, if I really want to get it done. Right? So like yeah. all this ways of this idea, these networking opportunities, these growth opportunities, these classes, just it, it doesn't ever end. It gets exhausting, but some days it's very exciting. Yeah, because you mentioned that, you know, you you got bored, right? Like just being in this, you were a, was it an advisor? Yeah, I was an assistant director of field education. So I did like the placement mm. and work with the advisors, work with the field instructors, work with the students. Yeah. Yeah. Sophie. And that's a huge role, Cleveland. It's it like, is. I mean, in social work, right? You know yeah. that if you're a director in field placement for a school of social work, like that is a really big role. It is. It's some, it's even a dream role for a lot for of some, folks. For a lot of people, that it is. It is. And the fact that you were like, oh, I don't know, it's just not doing it for me. <laughs> you're like, I need something new. I right. think that resonates with a lot of folks because that was me. I was an administrative manager at Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. I was a social worker for our care management department. I had my own team that I was managing. And I was like, this is great. And I even had an amazing supervisor. Correct. I was very All lucky. The yes. I had a really awesome, supportive just and she was amazing I really I was like really one of the reasons why I hesitated even thought about should I d leave my job to do this full-time was because I knew that it was rare to have a job where you feel supported by your supervisor I had so much great PTO like the PTO and <laughs> I was amazing like we were I had 33 days off and not including holidays. So I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is great. And I still didn't feel challenged. And I felt Correct. like I needed a lot more. Correct. Like I needed more growth. Mm -hmm. I think the last time I felt challenged was, I think I've talked to you about this, like yeah. my Europe inter <laughs> my internship with Europe. That was the most challenging time of my life. Like I I grew so much during that year. Right. Just everything that I learned, pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I had no choice. I right. remember you didn't give us a choice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're like, you're doing this. You're going to organize. This is a lot. There's a lot happening. And I was like, oh my. And, that, and this decision, I realized that this would help me. And it has been. Like, I think the only difference here is that I'm taking my time and taking doing it at my own pace correct and learning things and I even remember I remember when we were in our Europe internship 
you asked, one of your asks was, we got to do a podcast for <laughs> And I was like, how are we, what is that? What is even a podcast? (laughs) And I was like, how are we going to do all that? But ever since then, I've been listening to podcasts and I think it's just, it's this alone. I'm learning, editing and bringing people to having conversations. And it's the most growth and challenge that I've given myself during this time. And so... There's so much to questions to to reflect on and Correct. like skills Correct. to grow. And like you said, it never stops. It never stops. Like you're I wanna talk a little bit about your introvert and social media <laughs> journey because you, you talk you've come to me a lot about be how do you do this? And it feels I feel like you really want to get yourself to a place. But it's just, it's not like you're, uh, and it's funny because I never thought you were an introvert. When I first met you, I was like, Kalima, an introvert? What are you talking about? She's a professor at Columbia, oh. at Columbia University. How does she go up to her class every day? I would be dying. <laughs> so tell the, me more. How oh You're, you're an introvert. Can you tell I me more? I am an introvert. I am a, when I tell you I am an introvert, I am an introvert. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm so glad you brought this up because I think that is another thing that is not consistent with being an entrepreneur. And so for, yeah. for folks who may feel, I think that we both felt similarly at some point, I'm an introvert. Maybe I'm not good. I'm not going to be a good entrepreneur because there's this expectation that as an entrepreneur, we're always performing. We are yeah. always like we have to engage our customers all the time. Mm. We yeah. have to just be front and center of our business all the time. It's part of our marketing. It's part of our branding. It's part of all of the I, oh my gosh, I recoil at the idea of putting <laughs> being on my social media page. You can probably count on one hand how many times you see me on that phone, you know, yeah. that in five years, right? Like, I just can't. I think also, I think that... Society as a whole is, I think it's like just problematic. I think mm-hmm. that there's too much access to people's lives in mm-hmm. a way that makes me feel uncomfortable, but then also yeah. creates this situation where people, if you make one tiny mistake, you mm-hmm. are at risk of losing everything because you've yeah. made this one tiny mistake. We, I don't feel like this at social media is a hospitable place at all. I think mm-hmm. it's very, I think it's chaotic and combustible and contentious mm. almost any given day yeah. and so it doesn't draw me out right to say oh yeah. yes I want to do this on social media I just don't have that but I think as what I have learned to do is to how to balance another one one final thing that I have struggled with is that I don't work in my store every single day and I every single day have to remind myself like it's okay it's okay to, to not work in your store just because you don't work in your store every day doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a business or you shouldn't be you should be a business owner i deserve to have this business and create the boundaries in which i can be successful at doing that work if i Mm -hmm. worked in the bookstore every day i would not literally would not i probably wouldn't be able to do half the things i would be have to do because Mm -hmm. i would be physically drained every single day that's what it does for me after this what i'm gonna do i'm gonna Mm -hmm. pack up snacks and i'm going to the pool because (laughs) this is the most conversations I do typically have I don't typically have these types of long conversations so it's physically draining for me trust me after this I'm definitely gonna go (laughs) 
you probably go, go work out, lunch. right? Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm going to go have lunch. And then I'm just going to go probably hang out with my sister. With the only My sister's the person where I can hang out nonstop without burning out. Right. Correct. But I can't even do that with Sean. I can only do that with There's certain people that you can do. So yeah. I think like I've had to tell myself, it's okay that you don't that you're not there every day. And I sometimes when it gets really bad and I start to feel really guilty, like it's something like recently something happened in a bookstore and I was like, oh my gosh, I know that what people are gonna say, if you spent mm-hmm. more time in your bookstore, that probably wouldn't have happened. And so feeling mm-hmm. that guilt. And then I what I counter that conversation with is Oprah in the office every single day? No, she <laughs> is not. Yeah. She hires the good people to do the work and they yeah. should be trustworthy people so that she yeah. can do her level of work. And that yes. does not necessitate being in the office every day. No, that's what I say to my, I literally said this to myself yesterday as I was commiserating around something that happened in, in the bookstore. So I think that I've created my own boundaries and I've created yes. the ways in which that I can survive and thrive in mm-hmm. being a small business owner, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. as an introvert. Even sometimes, like I've created a rule that if I'm in the bookstore and somebody acts, I will come in and give a temperature check. If I do not want to be bothered, I would mm-hmm. say do not even point me out to the people mm-hmm. as the owner. People don't mm-hmm. even know I'm the owner because they don't see my face on IG. Like they don't yeah. know. And even if they do recognize me and I'm at a low level, I will be completely honest with them. I would say I'm I really do want to engage. I right now I don't have the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. So let's figure out oh, another way that we can have this conversation. Here's the email, blah, 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 blah. But I really need to take care of myself in this moment. I create the boundaries because otherwise, if I get into that conversation and I am triggered or I start to, because you know how introverts, we can literally start to shut down. You can see it in our face, in our bodies, everything. We start to shut down. That is going to be even more harmful. So it's it's about being honest about what it is that I can do, what I can't do. And even with the staff, if I feel like I'm not in a good space to do supervision, I say it. Can we reschedule if yes? Like, when is the best time for us to reschedule? Because really, I don't have it right now. But that doesn't make me a bad business owner. It doesn't make me undeserving. I don't always have to be on for folks. What I do need to do is always take care of myself and hope that people understand. Yeah. And that's a lesson, I think, for most entrepreneurs, especially new business owners. I think that there's this idea that everything has to be done as as scrappy and you and only you as possible you will need to get to a point where you need to learn that other other business owners will need to tell you no you don't have to do everything yourself correct and you don't have to do everything if you're not the best at it then figuring out a way to bring in the folks that can help you yeah okay last question yes tell me what would you say to someone who is thinking about starting their own business and they've mm-hmm. never done it before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice to them? Oh, my gosh. Um, two major things. Please do not romanticize being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. This is very hard. I'm going to say three things, actually. This is very hard. This is very hard work. And you are in, in the first five to seven years, possibly even up to 10 years, you are, everything shifts, priorities shift, everything shifts, and you're never off. Mm. Even when you are, 
is always in the back of your head. So don't romanticize it. Make sure that you are in good physical health, good mm-hmm. mental health, good spiritual health, and damn sure good financial health. It's a lot. That's number one. Number two, this is what I used to tell the BSW students who were moving in the NMSW program. Your, the programs are different. You work in, when you work for someone else, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you shut down, you have a totally different life. Make sure that your life, that, but in graduate school, it's a completely different thing. You're in field three days a week mm-hmm. and classes. You could, your classes could be spread out two, three days. You probably are also working. Make sure that your family life, your tribe around you are in a good position and are also ready to support you as you move mm. through this particular stage in your life. Because it, again, it's a lot. And if your family is in shambles or it going through a major transition, it's going to be hard to find balance and ease in that. And it's gonna be hard to be able to divert your attention to the business when you need to or back and forth. Mm-hmm. I would tell you one of the hardest, so I was married had a baby, opened up a business. It was the hard, and then we moved from Inwood to Brooklyn. It was one of, it was the mm-hmm. toughest yeah. years of our relationship. And I, we didn't make it mm-hmm. because we had too many transitions all at once and the infrastructure that needed to be in place for me to dedicate as much time to the business and not dedicate to my family life or it just wasn't there. I didn't have an option. I had to dedicate to family, to that, not family, to the business and dedicate to my toddler, my newborn. Yeah. It doesn't leave space to do much more. I don't have any, and I had a full-time job. So yeah. I would say, make sure your family infrastructure is in place before venturing out to do something as tough as this. And the third thing is build a, some type of advisory board, get all your trusted friends, from different places, different industries, get them on a text message, set boundaries for them, set expectations, tell them what you need, tell them what to expect, ask them if, they, if they're going to consent to join you and make that place your place to vent, to be vulnerable, mm. to ask questions, to receive feedback. Make that your place that where you're taken care of because as an entrepreneur, you're going to be taking care of everyone else. Yeah, And if you don't have somebody or a team, and it can't just be like one person because you don't want to put that all on your partner, which is what I did, to take care of you, you're not going to make it. So you need community to hold you and caress you and remind you and hold you accountable if you need to be called in, call Mm -hmm. you in, but -hmm. also just to be there for you when it feels impossible because nine out of ten days in the beginning, it feels impossible. Mm, it's just yeah. I want to quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Kaliba. That was awesome. That was amazing. I think I will definitely. I never thought about an advisory board for myself and in this yeah. journey. That's something that that we all need, I think. Yes, you do. Yeah. You yeah. do. So you do. that is great, great. Can I just say one more thing about the advisory yeah. board? Can is I definitely be people. But I would also, this is what's on my desk. Oh, La Virgen Maria. <laughs> yes, Lady Guadalupe. And so she's on my desk and I normally have stones on my like my desk, oh. but I took it downstairs because I was charging them. 
in a new moon. I burn incense that are for entrepreneurship and like cleansing the space to make sure that I'm circulating the energy to create that space. So your advisory board is off, is definitely like physical people, human beings, but it's also your spiritual practice that mm. keeps you grounded and keeps you focused and keeps you aligned. And I pull cards once oh. a day. Do you pull your own cards? I pull my card. I pull one card a day and I keep oh. the crystal on the card to keep it charged and keep it pure. I need to actually need to charge it. I didn't put it in a new moon. So I think like all of those things that you need to keep yourself really yeah. rooted and grounded is very important because this idea, like people are on online, like I'm an entrepreneur and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. They make it sound so beautiful yeah. without yeah, saying. Like you said, romanticized. How hard is it? How many days you're going to want to quit? How many days you may end up in tears? So yeah, I've had those. Yes. Get that I'm spiritual happy. practice, drink your water, and talk to your friends. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kalima. <laughs> I love this conversation. I had so much more to ask you. Like, maybe we could do this another time. <laughs> maybe we could do it another time. Definitely. But thank you so podcast much episode for inviting two. me. I so appreciate you so much. You have no idea. I was like, is B going to invite me to her podcast? I want to talk to her. <laughs> yes. I was like, I had you in my mind. Here's what I'll say. You are like a shiro, a mentor. Ever since you were my supervisor, that's just my view of you. So like, I feel privileged to have you as my friend. And I feel the same way. That's why I'm always like, did y'all read the newsletter? It's, I'm learning so much. I'm listening to your podcast. I'm telling you, those two podcast episodes really resonated with me. The one we use, Reframe Laziness. Yeah. Because I feel the same way when I tell you yeah. I feel the same way. I literally was just talking to someone about not having goals because I am tired. Uh. I don't, I don't <laughs> want another goal. Right? Yeah. And I was like, but I'm not lazy. B says it's not lazy. I yeah. literally just had this conversation. <laughs> I've had it like 10 times already, but I had it again this week with Miracle. It yeah. was saying Miracle. Oh, yes. B says <laughs> yeah. not, I'm not lazy. So yeah. I had that and then this idea of not wanting to go. I was going to, I let my social work license lapse and I was like, okay, I need to go get it. And then I was like, for what? I was like, for what? For what? Why are we going to reinstate that license? For what is not where we are right now. And that energy, we could be doing some type of other class for our business. That is not where I am at right now. I just can't invest that energy. And when after I heard you, I was like going around in circles, it's literally on my goals list for 2023 to get to renew my license. And I have to do all these DU classes. I was like, if the CU classes don't have anything to do with business, I'm not doing it. And once yeah. I heard your podcast, I was like, I am not alone. And then I talked to my sister. I was like, I have a perfect podcast to get you out this rut of thinking like <laughs> yeah. you have to go in this particular direction. So I, I was like, I can't. I was like, when is she going to ask me? I feel so hurt that she hasn't asked me. And then you asked me. <laughs> I literally text Elizabeth and was like, because I had just spoken to Elizabeth about it. And yeah. Elizabeth was like, the universe heard you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Kalima's a mentor. She's someone I really look up to. I really value her as just everything that she embodies. And so I have to remind myself but she's still my friend. I can just ask her. <laughs> <laughs> and like, be like beyond a friend. You are you're actually teaching me. And I want you to I really it's really important to you. That's the reason why I always comment on your stuff, because 
you have to know that I am learning from you every oh, time you drop I'm a newsletter, glad. every time you drop a podcast. I didn't, I haven't listened to the last podcast. I just dropped this on Monday, but yeah. every podcast I am listening and I am learning and I am just, even the fact just to see you as a fellow oh. introvert who was so shy yeah. on Instagram, I'm like, Kalima, get it together. <laughs> and I, so I've got to download again my introvert guide and get myself together because yeah. you did it. Like even you talking about like how to organize our day and put it like the color codes that you did, you did a newsletter about that. I was like, oh, Okay, let me just try this a different way, like around yeah. organizing. So I, I, it's so important. May, yeah, maybe I was that person and maybe I'm still that person, but also know that you are also teaching me. And I feel so, I feel so lucky to be in community with you. And you already know that I want you to do a group because I, I want know. to be in that group. Because I, I know, I can't even imagine how much we're going to learn just by you facilitating that group and like dropping gems and saying, okay, try this, try that, different mm -hmm. ways and that we can feed off of each other. It, just imagine if you did a group of all Latinx business uh -huh. owners across the country, like what that would feel like for all of us to be I in know. a space like that. No? I know. And you're so, always someone that will push me. You've always pushed me to do things that are uncomfortable like remember when you told me go get your cv you're, you're gonna be the supervisor i'm like i'm dying inside I'm like, okay i'm gonna do it I'm, and so that to me the, you're the person who like you know shows me like there's growth here there's a lot of growth here right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, for doing this, for sharing everything, your journey. I obviously love you as a friend. I'm so grateful to be in community with you. Thank you for this. Same here. And thank keep sending you. out those newsletters and get that group going sometime next year. I'm there. Okay. <laughs> I love always you, Always pushing me. Always pushing me. All right. Love you, you later, too. Love. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody, that was Kalima D'Souza, owner and founder of Café con Libros, a Brooklyn-based intersectional feminist bookstore and coffee shop, Afro-Latina-owned, I want to add. Make sure you go follow and support Kalima's bookstore. You can head on over to Instagram at Café con Libros underscore BK and head on over to her website at cafeconlibrosbk.com. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation. I had so many takeaways from this episode, but I'll share a few of my favorites. This is why it is so important to have friends and a tribe around you and your business goals because you can learn from each other and realize that maybe the feelings that you're having are not so uncommon after all. I also loved the way that she implements community into her business through her community board and through her advisory board. I thought that was so genius. I myself never thought to bring folks that I know together to help me in this journey, but that's something that I'm definitely going to be doing moving forward. And lastly, business makes us think about our values and how sometimes the values that we have contradict what entrepreneurship or business can look like, but we can operate our business with as much intention as possible. Again, thank you so much for sticking around with us. Please remember to come on over to Apple Podcast or Spotify and leave a review or rate us. 
it would really help out the podcast i hope you stayed safe and dry out there if you're in the la area southern california area who knows what this hurricane hillary has in store for us i'm recording this sunday evening so we'll see but stay safe and i'll see y'all next week bye Thank you.